Hi, I'm Kara Kilmer. I play Sylvie Brennan on Chicago Fire, and you are listening to Minas Amolis. gonna be all sunshine and roses but i can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride hey shy hearts welcome back to another episode of meet us at molly's this is episode 74 Tonight, we are going to continue our trip down, back down memory lane of Chicago Fire, and we're going to cover my personal favorite. This is Chicago Fire, season two, episode six. This is called Joyriding. So as always, we like to start our episodes with the news, and we had some like late breaking news today, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we all the news is today. It is today. Today being Wednesday, the day we're recording. But TV Line tried to be really sneaky, and they tried to drop something about maybe, like, two hours before we started recording. Like, well, and Derek like dropped Line. news. I mean, I think we all kind of knew Derek's news, but, like, Derek was also breaking news this afternoon, too, so. Yeah, just, it's like CNN over here. Chicago News Network. Just kidding. That's a bad joke. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. Um, the first bit of news we have is Derek's tweet as Bryna was talking about. Bryna, go ahead and fill us in on that. Yeah, so I think we all kind of figured it out, pieced it together from, especially if you follow the Filming in Chicago Twitter account, then you definitely probably put it together, that they were, right when they first started filming all three shows, they were all spending a lot of time together. They had blocked off a location for like five days or something like that, which usually means something big's going down. And it, I feel like, only typically happens when there's a crossover. So, but Derek officially broke the news, I guess, on Twitter this afternoon. And he tweeted, like, breaking news. Our second epi- episode of the season is going to be a three-way crossover with Chicago Fire leading the way. So it's going to go fire, and then he tweeted in a second tweet, fire into med, into PD for one night only. Which, it's important to note that it's different than how it's normally going to air, because normally it's going to go med, fire, PD. So they're switching up the order of how things are going to air in order to make the story work that week. I'm simultaneously really excited and not emotionally ready. Yeah. I'm curious, though. And again, this is I mean, we're going to have to see how it all plays out and like what happens in all of those first episodes. But they usually never happen this early. And so I'm curious, like how that's going to affect the stories they're going to tell in their first episodes back. Same. Um, yeah, I have the same concern. And I don't know if you saw or if you've seen the tweets kind of going around, but episode titles are starting to leak out. And so we were talking last week about Rob Morrow coming over to PD and how his episode would be titled Bad Boys. And it was, uh, what, 603? Yeah. It's now 602. So it's part of the crossover and presumably when the Rusewater car crash takes place. But but I thought Rob Morrow was still in episode three. The episode titles had just been switched. I figured that, I mean, along with the episode comes the actual episode being switched. I don't know. And I guess for me, too, I think the thing that I'm more concerned about with doing a crossover so early on and, like I said, how it's affected, how it affects its storytelling in the premiere episodes is because typically – 
crossover stories are isolated within how the rest of the story, like, storylines for the season. So, like, if you go, like, storylines per season being set up in episode one, and then you already jump ship and do, like, an isolated story for episode two, I just don't know how that's going to work. But, again, I could be wrong, and that could be not what they're doing at all. Right. I hope that they approach this the way they did crossovers last season, where instead of them being like, we have a fire. Now somebody's going to the hospital. Now we've uncovered a crime. It's one cohesive unit, just like the one last year where uh, Platt was at the news station and it blew up. But I hope it, I'm hoping it's like really cohesive. But I almost feel like that makes more s- what I'm saying in terms of like the fact that it's isolated almost... T- makes more sense because Derek had tweeted at some point or he had said, I don't remember which, where, whatever, but he had said they started filming with episode two first. And so if they were trying to do that in terms of like, so the actors could stay in the storyline mindset, it makes more sense why they would start with episode two because it's so isolated, different from what the stories they're going to tell the rest of the season. So like get that out of the way first and then, film the rest of the season like it as storylines go but i again we don't know we just know that episode two across the board is going to be a crossover cool yeah uh yeah i i mean yeah i was thinking about that today and i was like "Ooh, a crossover like super early and in my mind i was like okay crossovers are cool it's the two hour episodes that i like strongly have grown to dislike but then i'm like gina like you need to get over that this season because it's three straight hours of chicago whether you like it or not so yeah and i guess i'm curious to see how like you said it's three straight hours of chicago like i'm curious to see how that goes same like and how that affects what whether it's storylines that would continue through a season or as an isolated episode like the fact that it's still going to be three hours straight and they can tell it it's kind of a more I mean even more than a two-hour movie like an actual movie length like it kind of excites me at the possibility of the possibilities of what can happen so basically the second episode of every season it's or like every single season this season I'm saying the second episode is going to be like a Lord of the Rings movie basically it's going to be like three hours long yeah, kind of. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Lots of wine, I'm sure, we will go through. Oh, that's going to be one hell of a night. One hell of a night indeed. Yes. That'll be fun. Sort of. <laughs> we better start, like, emotional prep work now. <laughs> I know. We've got, like, what, six weeks till then? Something like that? Seven? Something like that, yeah. Crazy. I think it's six, but yeah, something like that. That's crazy. Interesting. Maybe, I mean, do you think that this is their way of getting the crossover out of the way? I don't know. I don't know. Because last year they didn't do a three-way crossover. They just did the two. Med didn't show up. Med wasn't a part of that officially. Med didn't show up. The news station blew up, but we don't really care. <laughs> I mean, Med was there. Like, Nick was in. Like, you know, people were in it, but it wasn't officially a Med crossover. Right, right. I see what you're saying. I don't know. So, I don't know. But I feel like as soon as, like, I mean, once they got the word that they were going to be, like, all three on the same night and they were going to do it that way, like, they knew, like, you know, I they knew that they were going to do this huge crossover. Right. Like. Right. So maybe I mean, I'm excited. 
Yeah, I'm definitely, I think I'm more excited. I'm just, I'm curious, or maybe I'm more curious than anything. Yeah, same. I, I At this point, I'm in such a steep stage of withdrawal from the Chicago shows. I'm like, I just come back. I don't care what you give me. Just come back. <laughs> so, Baby, come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is the first bit of news we got. The second one, this was TV line trying to be like all sneaky. So this article literally dropped about maybe two hours ago. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday night. This bit of news dropped me like, like evening Wednesday. It is a little bit of a blurb with Derek about Dossie and the road ahead. Just, yeah. Um, I am very high up in my Dossie feels since last week's episode that we recorded. And so this this article did not help. Um, I need to pull it up. Hang on. Because <laughs> I read it and then I texted you like, OMG. Yeah. It makes me really sad. I mean, did you read it? Yeah, I read it. I'm confused. Okay, so let me get to the pertinent points here. Okay, so... Okay. Yeah, so TV Line just kind of recaps what happened at the end of the season. Basically, Dossie had a big fight. Deadline spoiled the finale. He didn't say that. I did. But... Yeah, and so and then, of course, days later, Monica announced that she was leaving. So the first thing Derek says is that it is a big blow to the marriage, which makes me really sad. Casey does not deserve this. Nope. Ugh, no, it makes me sad. So there's a time jump because a couple of months have passed. And this is what Derek said. The same frustration and lack of understanding that I think our audience is going through. So is Casey. So, yeah, all right. Because he's dead on with that. Um, And he says it's not going to be just one episode that he's going to be dealing with the ramifications of her having taken this gig. So she is going to Puerto Rico. Yup. She's not joining the private Ambo company. She's not baking in Wilmington with Mills. (laughs) (laughs) I would have taken that, actually. And so, yeah, Derek says at the onset, one of those ramifications will not be the dreaded D word of divorce. And so Derek says a realistic thing happens sometimes when a partner in a marriage takes a long distance job. And so then you have to deal with a new reality to your relationship. That's what Casey's dealing with. So they're approaching it from that standpoint that it's now a long distance marriage. Okay, here's where I was confused, though. Are you going to keep going? No, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I was talking about are you going to keep reading the article? Because what I was confused was, and I don't have it pulled up because I can't get it to load for some reason now. I don't know why. But what the part where Derek's talking about, like, single, being single, or Casey being single, what is that part? It's, like, later down. It's a little bit later, yeah. So he basically just mentions that, you know, he was surprised, too, that, you know, Monica ended up leaving. Everybody was surprised. I mean, you know, he figured that it was just kind of end of year negotiation talks, which, again, Hollywood's a business. So, you know, I get coming after Derek with your pitchforks, but also it's a business that he's been part of a long time. So he knows the name of the game. And so, yeah, he does mention or actually, this is more what TV line says. So they say. 
Now that Haas has overcome his surprise at the exit, he's enthusiastic about what's in store and the possibility of a single Casey should the couple go their separate ways for good. Now, how long, yeah, how long does a long distance relationship go before, you know, somebody says enough is enough? I mean, I think that's a logical, plausible question. Right. But I also think that that's interesting that, again, and I'm curious to see how this plays out. But I think it's interesting the fact that they're going at it from the long distance relationship angle only Mm -hmm. because I feel like since Monica is not going to be around, like, how do you effectively play that out on screen when we can't see it from the other side and, like, see them having conversations about what's happening in their relationship even though they're thousands of miles apart? Like, we can only see it from Casey's side. Right. We can only see it from Casey's side. That's that's exactly how they're going to play it. I mean, we can't see it from Gabby's side. Right, which is so... what I feel like the only way that I feel like, and obviously I'm not a writer, I don't know, but in my mind, the way to effectively tell the long-distance story would be if you could see it from both sides. Like, see them having, even though it's phone conversations or Skype conversations, like, seeing both of their faces on screen at the same time, but that can't happen here. So I'll be curious to see how they play this out when we can only see Casey and only be like, well, I got a text from Gabby. Gabby says blah, 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 blah. Like, we can only see it from that side. Which is why I think I just assumed he was going to be, maybe not necessarily divorced, but like, them separated or single or whatever. Like, him single. I think that that, it makes sense to me that that's not the position they're in going into season seven. But down the line, I could certainly see that happening. When I almost kind of want it. Like, I feel like what I'm about to say is going to cause, like, maybe even more of an issue. (laughs) But I feel like. I'm scared. But I feel like the fact that he, that Casey now has to put up. I mean, obviously, he wants to fight for his marriage. And he should, you know, because, you know, he said for you know for better or for worse like he's fighting for his marriage but like at the end of season six like gabby drug him through the ringer when you know they weren't communicating at all and she's like i'm gonna kill my you know she's like i want to have a baby so bad that i would put myself in harm's way if it meant having a baby and he's just like no and so he's been through the ringer and now she up and leaves to puerto rico and he's still trying to fight it you know, fight for their relationship and go through it together. Like, just let the man live his life. But it's not in Casey's nature to give up that easily and that quickly. No, I know. But if this has been months gone by, like, I don't know. I'm just kind of ready to see single Casey. Like, he's also very stubborn, remember? So, you know, what would take most people months, it's going to take him a while. Yeah, I know. Plus, who's going to be the one to give him that talk of, like, it's time for you to pull the plug? Nobody in that firehouse is going to give him that talk. Yeah. I No, I know. I'm just, I don't know. Poor Casey's been through the ringer. He has. I just feel like this is getting, it's just going to be, I don't know. (laughs) Well, that's why I, that's why I think TV line was so quick to mention that, you know, Pulling the plug on the relationship is not off the table. I feel like season seven and eight, sure, it's a long distance relationship, but 
season nine, season ten. That's a that's when we get into. You think we're gonna territory. get two seasons of a long distance relationship? Yeah. yeah. You think we're getting two seasons? I can't handle that. I need it to be like well, maybe one, maybe not even one. I actually have friends who are in that situation right now where it's a long distance relationship. And by long distance, I mean he is here in Texas and she's in China. And they're married. They're married. No, and I'm not saying both of them. I'm not saying that, that doesn't that's not a possibility and I'm not excited that that's being played out. I just think from this TV point and the fact that Monica is not currently on the show and as right now, like she has no plans to come back. I just don't see how they're going to drag it out for that long. Like, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. It's like, I understand that in real life it happens and I know that it can successfully work. And I am all for if that was like, real life like I'm all for that happening I just don't think story wise especially because like like we said right now there are no plans for her to come back anytime soon and I don't see her coming back this I mean future down the line maybe but not this season probably so like I just don't see them being able to do it for an entire season or like you're saying two I just don't see it I thought I'm thinking like half a season because I think if she's if she's gonna come back the way it appears right now is that it's not going to be long term. She's going to pop in for maybe an episode or two. And so how do you sustain the marriage off of an episode or two? Wait, what? Say that again. I feel like if Monica is going to drop back in and come back to fire, it's only going to be for an episode or two here and there. So how do you sustain the marriage on an episode or two? Right, you don't. That's why... They get divorced. But this is also why the writers make the big decisions and make the money to do so. And we don't. Right. I mean, clearly we're just, yeah, theorizing and stuff. I just, I don't see how they consist. I mean, if they can find a way, kudos to them. And I will be the first to say I was wrong. If they find a way to keep this long distance marriage thing going for however long they can do it. I just, in my mind, once I read this, I was like, oh, so this is, like, the first half of the season's problems. And then the second half, like, they get divorced, and then single Casey comes out. And that's what we deal with with Casey in the second half of the season. That's just immediately where my mind went. No, I hear you. I hear you. Just, I don't see Casey giving up. At all. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I It's not even that I'm thinking about it in terms of Casey and, like, characterization-wise. I just think in terms of, like, storylines, like, how long can they keep that going, though? And how long can Casey say, I'm like, I'm not giving up, I'm not giving up, before it just becomes the same story over and over and over again? Especially because we can't see Monica. Like, it's not like we can see... Dawson reacting to Casey not wanting to give up time and time again. So we can literally only see it from Casey's side and Casey be like, I'm not giving up on this. I'm not giving up. Well, like, how many times can we see that? It's a valid point. Yeah. And I guess I don't remember who... I don't remember even who came on and when we were talking about, like, maybe it wasn't even somebody coming on. But, like, when... Do you remember, I think this maybe even been, like, right when we started the podcast, 
somebody was talking about like planning seasons out in like chunks or maybe it was in an article or interview or something and how they were looking at like when they plan the seasons out like looking at storylines in like chunks so like five episodes like these are the storylines we're looking at do you remember that I do, and it was either Derek or Jeff. Um, it was somebody. I mean, I, it was, like, an interview, yeah. maybe. I don't remember what it was. But And so when I think now about, like, storylines and, like, when I read this, I'm like, okay, well, how many episode storylines, like, how what, like, what chunk of the season does that look like? And yeah. that's just how, when I picture this, I'm like, maybe eight, maybe nine, so, like, through the first half of the season – and then I'm like, but I don't see it going longer than that. And that's just me and my brain, like, trying to process the season. But, like, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard job what these writers do. It's hard. Yeah. I And especially, like I said, and I, but kudos, to, I mean, and I will say this, like, obviously we don't know how it plays out, but I feel like kudos to them for trying to tackle a storyline that still involves a character that they can't show on screen. Yeah. Because that's a challenge. Like you said, I mean, that's my biggest thing that I just, why I don't see it going for that long is I just feel like it's a challenge and I'm curious to see how they're going to try to tackle this. Because that's the biggest problem for me with this storyline. I'm glad that they're showing a different side of marriage. And like Derek said, like he's excited to show like, new stories, new ideas when it comes to the idea of marriage. But I just don't see logistically how, since they can never show Dawson, like, how that's going to work. But I'm, like I said, I'm excited to see them take on the challenge and see how they decide to do it. Yeah. So, should be interesting. It should be, yes. I, I just, I am so far up in my Dossie feels this past week. Just, Yeah. Last week wasn't even that big of a Dossie episode, though. It wasn't, but there was that little, there was that teeny tiny Dossie moment we got in that episode. And then it just kind of sparked that conversation about how, like, I was thinking about it and then what Tamar had said on the shipping room. And I just was like, yeah. And we had had a big conversation with our friend Ashley from Telltale and we did. Oh, yeah. Um, Speaking of Ashley from Telltale, they have a pull up. They're kind of doing a battle of the ships right now. You should definitely go check that out. Yeah. there are some Chicago ships in there. And it's like different categories too. So it's like your favorite ship that got back together in the last year. Your favorite ship that like was torn apart and all those things. So there's different categories. So you should go vote on TelltaleTV.com, I think. But in one of them, she's got like Bretonio against ships from like four other shows that Brian and I both watch. And we're just like, how could you? Yeah. <laughs> how dare you? How you dare you put Bretonio against Wyjo and Daryl and Liza and Josh and Pinstripe and Jane and all the other couples that I love? Like, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> how rude. But actually, though. But yeah. So that's all the news we've got. Obviously, we have some feelings pent up, but, you know, if you ever see anything, hear anything, send it to us. You know the drill. You guys are really good about sending us news, and we really do appreciate that because there's only two of us against a whole big internet, so we're bound to miss things. Yeah, so, you know, email us, tweet us, Facebook us, whatever you want to do. Just get us the news, however. We appreciate that. So I think it is time to jump into the episode. What say you? Let's do it. All right. So 
going back down memory lane, the Chicago Fire 206 called Joyriding. This was the first in kind of like a series of episodes that they've tried to do since where basically you take one character and they just get kind of stuck in this horrible situation by themselves and they have to kind of work their way out of it. So since this episode, we've seen episodes with Casey and with Dawson. Um, and this season's I'm stranded alone and have to work my way out of it. I have one. I have a scenario on my wish list that I guess I won't reveal yet, though I think it's pretty obvious. But yeah, I'm hoping they keep it going because these episodes always turn out to be really good. So yeah, um, and we broke this down by storyline. There's a lot happening. So yeah. Okay, so we're going to start with Severide because it's a big Severide episode. So Severide comes downstairs and our favorite villain, Devin, is beating up the poor coffee maker. That should be a crime, frankly, to beat up on a coffee maker that way. Like, coffee is sacred. Yeah. Not cool. I know, you don't drink coffee, so you're just like, whatever. Yeah. But I don't even own a coffee maker anymore. Crimes against coffee, like, they hit me hard. I'm just like, that's not okay. Respect the coffee. <sighs> Hashtag that. But yeah, so um, it's pretty obvious. I mean, this is like early morning, but Severide cannot stand her. And it's, he's giving her the stink guy. He's just kind of making smart ass remarks. He's just not feeling it. So yeah, he's basically like, you know, stop doing that. That's weird. Otis wakes up and Otis is like, what's going on? And Severide just goes, somebody doesn't know how to make coffee. And so Shay comes downstairs. She wants Advil. Severide's like, fuck this noise. And Severide's like, I'm going running. Like, bye. So as he's getting into his beautiful old Mustang, again, this is back when he had the awesome old Mustang. He is approached by a woman named Beth. Now, if you don't remember who Beth is, it's Benny's wife. Good old Benny Severide. Yup. Yay, Benny. Yep. So Beth approaches Kelly, and it turns out that Benny has not been home in months. He's been in Chicago. He just hasn't been home in months. Ugh. And so Kelly parks the car, leaves Bowden a voicemail that he might be a little late, and then he puts the phone in the glove box and starts his run. Like, okay, I I get that, like, you're running. You don't want your phone on you. What if it, like, falls out of your pocket? But, man, like, that is the exact reason why I take my phone with me everywhere is just in case like a super oddball emergency happens oh i'm this because i watch too much tv i'm the same way i take my phone even though i mean i feel like a lot of people do this but like take their phone in the bathroom but i take my phone in the bathroom just because i'm so concerned because one time i got locked in a bathroom and i'm just concerned about get like getting stuck in places and like not being able to like call someone and be like help i'm in here especially now that i live on my own like what happens yeah. if I get stuck in the bathroom and I can't call for help? Like, how the fuck do I oh, get out? Oh, fuck. Now I'm paranoid. Thanks, Brenna. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm especially with the bathroom just because, like I said, once when I was younger, I got stuck in the bathroom. <laughs> and, I mean, luckily, like I said, I was younger and, like, my mom and my brother were home. But still, it took me an hour. It took them an hour to get me out of there. I was like, I'm so paranoid about getting stuck in the bathroom. <laughs> That makes me think of that song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend when they're like, Paula's stuck in the bathroom. <laughs> I literally, and so like, but yes, I take my phone everywhere with me, even though I don't probably need to like take it with me when I go down to the front desk in my apartment building, but like I still take it with me. Right. And I think thanks to all of the television I watch, when I don't take my phone with me, I 
find myself like breaking story. I'm like, my phone's not with me. What if this disaster happened? How would I get out of it? And I like find myself just like plotting things out. And I'm like, I take it with me everywhere. And I like you said, especially now that like I live by myself, like nobody is coming in my apartment built. Like my room, like I don't have a roommate anymore. Like nobody can come and be like 10 hours later and find me. Like I would literally just be in there forever. Wow. But it's true. Like, it's... No, it's totally true. And, like, so if I don't... And then you have to knee your... You know, like, you'd have... What? I'd have to knee my way through the door? Like, I can't knee my way through that door of my bathroom. See, and my reason for taking my phone with me to the bathroom is not nearly as good as yours. (laughs) My only reason is because I used to have friends who would actually hack my phone and, like, post shit on my Facebook back in, like, you know, the day. Back in the day. And so it's just... Back in the day of like 2011. So now it's like ingrained in me that I'm like, oh, you know, you take your phone with you everywhere. Never mind disasters. I'm worried about my friends hacking my shit. So, no, mine is literally yeah. because I'm like, again, like I said, I just because I had the experience getting locked in the bathroom and it took them an hour to get me out. Like, that is my reason. And now what's my reason, too? OK, so. back to Subride. I'm not a runner. Like, I not at all. I'm not a runner. So I don't, I've never owned one of these. Why does he not have one of those armbands that he can keep his phone in? <laughs> that's a really good question. Like, I feel like that's oh. where don't most people, when they go running with their phone, like, obviously they're listening to music, but don't they usually put it in the armband and, like, listen to it that way? So then you're not, like, I don't know. I don't run, so I don't know these things. Yeah, I don't run either, but I think that's a really good question. Um, yeah, Charlie runs, but I don't think he has one of those armbands. But maybe Severide's the type that just likes to run with silence. I don't know. <laughs> but that's a valid but question. But even then, like, even if you want to run in silence, okay, fine. But still buy an armband so you can put your phone in there and have it with you. <laughs> yeah, valid point. God, this episode would have turned out so differently if he had just bought the freaking armband. Right. Um, like, <laughs> go spend the $20 at Best Buy, Kelly. Like, yeah, stop at Target next time. Shit. Yeah, like, like geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for real. Um, And that's. That's always, I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a trope, but that's always one of my favorite things when a disaster happens on TV. Like, they make a point to be like, look, I'm putting my phone away. And they make it, like, super blunt to be like, my phone is not with me. Right. Like, that's one of my favorite things just because it's so it's always so on the nose well, that, like, you can't help but laugh. And for me, like, especially with this episode, so, like, one of my other important questions was, like, why the hell is Sev running through, like, basically the middle of nowhere? Like, where no one is around. And it's, of course, of, like, of course, like, only then is, like, an accident going to happen in the middle of nowhere where no one is around. Because what's the point if people are around for you to be able to call someone for help like that? Just like that. Exactly. But, like, seriously, why the hell was Sev running in the middle of nowhere where there's not even, like, a running path? Like, he's literally at one point, like, running almost through, like, the bushes. Like, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) yeah yeah that's valid but kelly absolutely strikes me as the kind of guy who wants to like run off the beaten path and be like where nobody's around right but like go run on a running path dude like no there are people there not necessarily not maybe a running path but like on a sidewalk in a neighborhood or like not literally through the grass 
Like, he's literally running through, like, bushes or tall grass or whatever that was. He's running through the wilderness of Chicago. (laughs) But actually, though. But actually, though. How perfect would that have been if he was, like, running through the silos? (laughs) He's, like, on his run. He's like, stop, Hank! And then, like, just keeps going. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, so basically Kelly leaves the phone in the glove box is what our point is. He starts his run through the bushes and the random places in Chicago. Enter... I called it a bulldozer. It's a loader. It's a piece of construction equipment. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's a random piece of construction equipment, like in this like fenced off area. That's kind of, at first it seems like it's driving really normally. Right. And Kelly just kind of stops even while it's like just kind of normally going about its business. So I'm always curious. I'm like, I wonder what caught his eye. Like maybe he could tell that it was like a child driver behind the wheel and was like, the fuck is this? I don't know. I'm just curious, like, what caught his eye. So he just, like, stops and just kind of watches. And then the bulldozer just kind of, like, slowly topples over. He probably is thinking, though, like, because Kelly is running through the middle of nowhere and he's like, ooh, human life. Ooh, let me look. (laughs) Civilization? What is this? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so the bulldozer, front loader, whatever piece of construction equipment this is, it topples over onto its side. And so Kelly's like, well, it's good that I'm here. And he immediately just like springs into action. Just totally Kelly. One of, I think this is my favorite fire episode because this is our first glimpse into who Kelly truly is at the core of it all. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I think a lot of season one was like, because there was so much tension and like trying to suss out the relationship between him and Casey Mm -hmm. that like you're right that and especially season one was a lot of Casey just because with Hallie and was his family in season one or is that two his mom was in season one and his sister was too right because isn't that all tied in together so, like, season yeah. one was so much Casey that, like, season two was, like, Severide's time. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad they made the decision to, you know, start off this bit of, like, I would call them bottle episodes where, you know, one character is stranded by themselves. I'm glad that they decided to start this off with Severide. That the first time they thought to do this, they were like, let's see what Severide would do in this situation. You call this a bottle episode? I would call it about a bottle episode only in the sense that it's one of those episodes where they take one character, put them in a situation by themselves, and they have to find their way out. I understand what you're saying. I just don't know if I would call it a bottle episode, like tradition by the traditional definition of what a bottle episode is. But I agree that I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So this is like the first, first glimpse we get of who Kelly is at the core of it all. Like... If an emergency happens right in front of him, he just jumps into the thick of it and because it, it's just who he is. What is Casey's episode? Casey's episode, I want to say, was season five. It's the one with the – he goes to um, – and Louie is still around because he goes to some facility to check out, like, a construction gig or something. And there's, like, a giant chemical spill. Oh, and so he ends up yay. being stuck in, like, the break room yeah. or something. But I'd almost argue, I mean, this is so off point, but like, I'd almost argue that Casey's episode is more episodes or 
eh. I my first thought when we're talking about Casey's epi- bottle episode, for lack of a better word, is um, fuck. What is the the strip club storyline? <laughs> Stilettos. <laughs> but like, I'd almost argue that that's Casey's episode, and it's like a storyline, not an episode. Like the season finale of season three. Yeah. Like, we're talking about first time we saw Casey in a situation having to deal with something by himself. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I think, yeah, so, I mean, I would certainly consider that one of those situations. I think the later episode was one where they were like, no, we're actively going to, like, pick this back up and put right. in a situation. I, just, I forgot about that episode. And then, obviously, Dawson's was the parking garage. Yes, yes. Should I just tell you the bit off my wish list? It's pretty obvious. Go for it. It's Brett's turn. But hasn't Brett already gotten that too? I mean, I guess she got it with Mills when they were kidnapped. No, no, it's Brett's turn to be like on her own without the firehouse and have like some giant emergency happen and work her way out of it. I'm here for that. And then you're going to have Antonio running in at the last minute being like, I'm cool, but where the hell is she? Like, oh, yeah, that's how I need them to. See, and now I'm thinking about something else. This is so unrelated. I'm not even going to mention it. No, now you have to. Okay, but if we're talking, so you just mentioned Bretonio. But didn't Derek say there's no Bretonio in the first, like, nine episodes? Nine episodes. episodes. And we have a huge three-hour crossover in episode two, and we're not getting Bretonio? We'll wait. Um, That's all I'm going to say. We will wait. (laughs) I just thought about that. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. We'll just be here if you need us. We'll just be drinking our wine, like talking about our shows. And then when you're ready to give us Bretonia, we will be here. (laughs) We will so be here. We will so be here. Yes. Okay. Not to quote an episode title, but you know where to find us. (laughs) Yeah. So back back on track. Back on track. Yes. Why was Severide running in the middle of nowhere? That is such a valid question. But I think he's that kind of guy who's like, solitude. People are weird. Like, yeah. So Severide jumps on top of this front loader, like on the side of it, effortlessly, like ninja style. Enter sweet little Nathan. This kid is just, ugh, sweet little Nathan. That's like exactly, there's nothing else to, there's no other way to describe him. It's just sweet Sweet little Nathan. Nathan. Yeah, and so his legs are pinned under the seat. He's got a just a casual, like, piece of metal, like, sticking through his arm. No big deal. Um, yeah, and so what I meant to do before we started recording this episode, I remember they did, like, an exclusive kind of, like, digital highlight of, like, behind the scenes of this episode. And the kid who played Nathan was just adorable. And he was like, it was so much fun working with Mr. Taylor. And I was like, Mr. Taylor. like Wait, they did. I've not even seen that. I've not ever seen that. Let me see if I can find it because it's adorable and I need to send it to you. Um, yeah, but he called him like Mr. Taylor and I was like, Mr. Taylor. That's so, cute. so funny. He, he's like, this is so much fun. Of course, he didn't speak like that, but you know. That's so funny. Videos. Promo, promo. Don't need the promo. I need to find that video, but I remember it 
clearly and it was it was great it was great and i love the videos where they give us like the behind the scenes of how they made this crazy shit happen because they make it look so normal on the show like oh look this giant truck is overturning or oh look this guy is about to get shot by this high-powered rifle they make it look so normal and like like it like it actually happened but that's not the case it's cool i'm a nerd for that stuff though just a little bit but yeah a little bit so yeah sweet little nathan his Legs are pinned. There's a piece of metal sticking through his arm. Kelly's best friend is a paramedic, correct? Yes. Then why the hell does he remove the metal from his arm? Well, I mean, at some point, he has to remove the metal from his arm for him to get out of the bulldozer thing. But... But... (laughs) I thought the general rule was, like, to leave it in. Yes, but also Severide, like, I feel like Severide's done this before, right? Where he's, like, pulled something out when he wasn't supposed to because he, like, kind of has a little bit of paramedic training because he's a first responder, so, yeah. If that's the case, then it happened in season one, which my memory of season one is not so clear. I mean, it could be wrong, and I could be thinking of when he's done it since this episode and not, like, pre but, like, it doesn't surprise me that Kelly did that. Just, yeah. He removed it, and I'm just like, I remember when it aired just being like, eh, that's gruesome. But now that I rewatch it, I'm like, why, Kelly? Why would you do that? I swear I, like, just watched a Dr. Mike video where he was like, the general rule is to leave it in. Well, yeah, you're always, but, suppo- I mean, you're supposed to leave it in. Um, But, you know. Storyline, storyline. Gina. Storyline, Gina. Impaled by the icicle. I know storyline. I know. I know. That's We're maybe so what I think. Honestly, tonight. that I might be thinking of Christina being impaled by the icicle, which was like kind of the cutest thing ever. Well, and she I was all know. about yeah. leaving it in, and then Owen like pulls it out, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, no." So yeah, <laughs> you took out my icicle. So yeah, he's like belted water. Toxic. I don't remember what he said. It's not toxic, but <laughs> still. It's a seriously underrated ship, Christina and Owen. It's an underrated ship? Well, for me, they were underrated. They, you know, I don't know. Anyway, back on track. Sorry, we're like all <laughs> over the place tonight, clearly. Clearly, we yeah, just have a lot so to say. We just have a lot to say. So Kelly removes the metal. The artery starts like squirting like a fountain. I mean, that's literally the way to describe it. So Kelly's like, well, shit. So he pinches the artery shut with his fingers and then he just like screams for help because I mean, literally, there's nothing else he can do. And so Severide ends up, you know, he's like, hey, so do you have a phone? And Nathan's like, yeah, it's in my backpack, but I ditched it. So Severide's like, "Okay, hold the artery shut. I'm going to go get it. Holds the artery. He jumps out of the bulldozer front loader, whatever it is, gets the backpack, gets back in. This poor phone is like shattered into a million pieces. Just, ugh. It's sad. I don't understand, though, because the backpack's not, like, close by. How did the phone get shattered in a million pieces? Right, and the bulldozer didn't, like, fall on it. Right. Maybe he, like, threw it from the bulldozer when he got in. I don't know. But I was thinking, I'm like... He's like, wee! Because, like I said, like, Kelly has to get up, get out of the bulldozer, and, like, go get the backpack. So, like, the bulldozer right. did not fall on the backpack, so how did the phone get shattered? Right. But, of course, the bat, the 
bulldozer got shattered or the phone got shattered i can't yeah, the, re- the reason why the phone got shattered is because if it didn't get shattered we would have no storyline that's what i was trying to say so, that's what i was trying to say yeah right yeah so but no it's it's i mean maybe he threw it from the bulldozer i mean he's a kid right he doesn't realize like you know throwing things could damage things right i guess I, that's the reason i guess we're gonna have to go with so oh sweet little nathan <laughs> but at least now Kelly has Nathan's backpack, which like this backpack turns out to be really like lucrative. I don't know. It's there's a lot of like plot within this backpack that I was like, ooh, ooh, that's smart. A lot of stuff contained in that backpack. So that's like important later. So yeah, and that's exactly what I say in the outline. This is important for later. So <laughs> We go deal with a couple other things. We come back and a car is driving by. So Kelly gets out, runs after it, you know, screaming help. Nobody's listening because I guess we're just not supposed to expect human life near this construction site, like you were saying. Because it's in the middle of nowhere. I wonder if like it was like a no people allowed area or something or it was like one of those areas where it was like you can't come in without a hard hat like i think it was and kelly decides to go running through there again because there is no sidewalk or anything kelly is literally running through tall grass kelly gonna kelly which is why i'm still impressed yeah. that shay found him but okay we'll get to that point it's because she knows his bff <laughs> i i but anyway we'll get to that yeah so the car drives by kelly's screaming for it nothing happens and so kelly jumps back into the bulldozer and right as he does so there's like a giant ladder type thing that's like leaning on the bulldozer in some weird fashion and it shifts just in time like right as soon as kelly gets back in it shifts so that it pins kelly's leg so now he's stuck too um yeah and he's screaming because that's gonna hurt a lot it's probably going to leave, like, a hell of a bruise. Yeah. And so he's screaming, and he's like, well, shit. And so that's that. So then we come back, and Severide's going through the backpack. And this is when he kind of, he doesn't, like, maybe he does. Well, yeah, he kind of starts to bond with Nathan. And so, you know, Nathan's, like, in and out. He's not, like, he'll, he'll talk to Kelly, but it takes a little urging. Because, like, he's lost a lot of blood, so he's really out of it. And so Severide just looks at him, and he's like, don't give up on me, okay? Like, I want you to promise me. And Nathan just very weak is like, I promise. And that was that was in the promo when like they first teased the episode. I remember like all the fangirls being like, mm, Severide, oh my God. Me included, so I'm not one to judge. But yeah. So he says, you know, don't give up on me, promise me, you know, I've seen guys bigger than you give up and there's nothing I can do. Like you're done. And so Nathan promises. And so Severide's going through his stuff in the backpack and he finds a binder clip. So he pinches off the artery and then they kind of start to bond. And so we t- we find out that Nathan was joyriding because his father promised to teach him how to drive one of these pieces of equipment, but then he left. And so Nathan's logic was, you know, I wanted to teach myself so that if he ever came back, I could show him that I didn't need him. And so Severide's like, yeah, I've got daddy issues too. And so he explains, he's like, you know, I became a firefighter just like my dad, but without my dad's help. And this is where I have questions. Like, I want to I want to know more about this because they've always like stated the fact that like, yeah, he did it without Benny's help. But like, why did he do it without Benny's help? What was happening at the time? Why did he become a firefighter? Because they presumably had a really rough relationship when Kelly was growing up, right? 
Right. My guess is it's one of those, like, his father was, like you said, they had a rough relationship growing up. His father was kind of in and out of his life. And so in order to prove that he is a better person than his father was, like, do the same job as him, but only do it better and, like, be there for the people around you. Like, do everything that you can so that your life on paper looks the same as his, but in reality you were a much better man and a much better person, much better at your job, and that you overall have the better life than him. Brenda, that's deep. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, that seems very Kelly as well. Right. Like, not try to sabotage Benny's life and, you know, not be mad at Benny for what he did, but just go out and prove and, like, do better at everything so that you can shove it in his face that way. If Kelly ever needs a therapist, I'm going to recommend you for the role. Dream job (laughs) right there. Hire Bryna. Bryna should be his therapist. Dream job. Let's do it. it. That's, I mean, that, and that seems, that sounds exactly like something Kelly would do. And that's, that seems like exactly something that would motivate him, especially when, you know, he realized that his mom was, or his dad was cheating on his mom. Yeah. Oh, that makes all of the sense in the world. See? Like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like how I pitched that as a hypothetical, and now I'm like, no, that's the answer. That was perfect. <laughs> right. Like, I I mean, I have no idea if that's true, but that's what I would like to guess. Well, yeah, and it's what I've always wondered because, you know, it's a rough relationship, like we said. And, you know, Kelly lost a lot of respect for Benny when he cheated on Mama Sev. And it's part of the reason why, you know, he was not horrible to Benny, but he kind of came down hard on Benny this past season. But he also has never truly cut Benny out, at least from what we know. Like, he's never truly cut Benny out of his life, and he has no problem for most of the time, like, most of the time, like, he has no problem being around Benny. And, like, Benny shows up half the time, and Ellie's like, yeah, like, he's here to help, you know, solve arsons and yada, 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 and, like, all that stuff. So, like, I don't, like I like I said, I don't think he's ever hated Ben. I mean, he probably has hated Benny. But, like, he's never, like, not talked to Benny or anything. I think he's just tr- tried to prove that he is the better person than Benny by trying, like I said, be a better man, be a better, you know, family member, be a better firefighter. Just do it that way so that every time Benny's around, Kelly can be, like, silently be like, yeah, like, I'm a better at everything in life than you. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's good. But yeah, so then Nathan, just sweet little Nathan, his next question, because, you know, Kelly's like, I became a firefighter without him. And so sweet little Nathan's like, is it hard? And Kelly just goes, no, it's the best job in the world. It's just also that's just so Kelly. So then Severide's like, okay, well, once we get out of here, like, I'll take you to the firehouse and we can ride around on the truck and everything. And Nathan's like, cool. But like, he's so good with kids. It kills me. I just... Yeah. Kelly is so good with kids. I know. And especially now, like, obviously, like, since we're four seasons, no, almost five seasons now past this. But, like, seeing, you know, all the time, like, when Nathan came and, like, even just episodes later and, like, fought for the firehouse. And then when they eventually, like, make the standalone library for Nathan's school and, like, just, like, you know, the fact that that relationship continued. I'm so glad that he came back for a couple episodes too i'm glad that he popped in afterwards because just 
Yeah, they they bonded and it was just it was really, really good. And so if what do you think Nathan is like, what, maybe 12 in this episode? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. So it's five seasons later, so he should be about 17, which means that's crazy. I expect him to join the I expect him to join the Academy in season eight. Hold on. Ten. Ten. How old do you have to be to join the Academy? I don't know, but I was going to give him 20 so that he could, like, you know, graduate. You graduated 18. I know you do, but I was trying to give him a little time <laughs> okay. to, like, go to college and figure out that he wants to be a firefighter. Okay, sure. <laughs> go with that. I'm just plotting out this fictional character's life. Don't mind me. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've stood by that. Like, since this episode aired, I've always said, like, years from now when this show, like, is in, you know, 10, 11, 12 seasons, like, I want to see Nathan come back and, like, go through the academy. You said that that on here, too, like, since we launched. Like, you've been very, like, gung-ho about that. I stand by it because it would just be so sweet and so full circle. And it would be interesting to see what kind of firefighter Nathan grew up to be. Oh, my God. Him and Griffin Darden in the same firefighter class. Oh, my God. Oh, I would die. Because, yeah, there is some Griffin in this episode. Well, and they're, we'll like, about to. the same. I mean, Griffin might be a little bit younger, but, like, if you said that Nathan went and joined it a little bit older, so, like, you said 20, and Griffin joined it, like, right after high school, if they, assuming they can join the Academy right after high school, like, they could be in the same class. Oh, my feelings. <laughs> I know. All the feels. Oh. All of the feels. All of the feels. Brian, would you like to take it a little bit from here? Yes. So now we, it's nighttime. They're still out there. Kelly has not left yet because, I mean, physically he can't move. He's still trapped. Um, but also he wouldn't do that. Um, so originally Kelly's like, hey, man, like, there's originally we don't know how Nathan started the thing. But Kelly, you know, they're just talking and having conversation. Kelly's trying to keep Nathan talking a little bit so that, you know, stays alive. Um, and Kelly's like, hey, like, how did you start this thing originally? And apparently Nathan used a screwdriver to start the loader. Um, and then, of course, Kelly sees the screwdriver, but it's, of course, just out of Kelly's reach. So he can't do anything about it. But so... Next time we see them, it's the next morning. Kate, Kelly had dozed off a little bit, but he wakes up. Nathan's in bad shape. He's starting, you know, his lips are starting to turn blue. Like, he's cold. Like, he, he doesn't have much time. And Kelly knows that. And then also, about this time, like, we go from one scene to the next. This is also about the time when Shay is getting home and has, reali- like, realizes that something's wrong and realizes that Kelly is not at home sleeping through the day and missing shifts. Like, he's something's probably wrong. And so she, Otis also comes home and she's like, hey, I need your keys. And she takes off. So then we go back to the bulldozer scene and Kelly finds a piece of metal from the spine of one of Nathan's books. And I would have never even thought about that. The fact that, like, hardback covers have a piece of metal in them and, like, taking it out. Like, I would have never thought about that. No, same, same. Because I, and I, I wrote this later on in the outline, but Kelly Severide is, like, the smartest character on Chicago Fire, right? He's got to be. He really is. I, Yeah. 
he's just I he just has so many I don't even like street smarts. Yeah, and just the way he thinks about things and the way he analyzes them in a situation, like in any situation that, you know, he, when, when there's a fire or an emergency or something, he's so intelligent and he's always coming out with these things. He's like, well, this chemical is made up this way, so it would start a fire this way if, you know, such and such condition was met. And then for him to know that there's metal in the spine of a book, I didn't know that. I feel like he taught me something. Right. Well, and he's creative and like, you can't teach that. Like, you can't teach that and be like, in this situation, when you need a piece of metal and you just happen to have a book, like, take the little piece of metal out of the spine of the book and you, like, you can't teach that situation. Right. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, like I said, Kelly takes this piece of metal and he ends up using it to start the loader, you know, I don't know, mechanical engineering, but somehow makes it work, starts the loader. And so he ends up flipping through, flipping the loader upright because, like we said, Kelly Severide is the smartest character on fire. And like, who knows how to do that? Who knows how to do that? Kelly Severide. Kelly Severide, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, would anybody else in that firehouse have the wherewithal to flip that sucker upright? Maybe Bowden. Maybe Casey. I, I, yeah, maybe that's about it. Yeah, that's about it. So, of course, right as Kelly flips it upright, Shay is when Shay happens to pull up right at this construction site or whatever the fuck this thing is, and <laughs> she watches this happen. So, of course, Severide gets Nathan out of the bulldozer, and of course, this is like I said the exact moment that Shay happens to be running up towards him. And so Severide gets in the car with Nathan and Shay speeds off to presumably Lakeshore. No, definitely Lakeshore. We're in season two. Definitely Lakeshore. <laughs> How do you think Otis took that when they were like, sorry, we got blood all over your car? Yeah, who knows? Um, but so basically the episode, this part of the episode ends with Shay and Severide waiting at the hospital and Shay wakes him up as Nathan is wheeled down the hall with his mom. And Nathan's like, Mom, this is him. Like, this is the man who saved me. And that's where the episode fades to black. And it's just Kelly standing there, like, blue eyes. Just, just Kelly. Yeah. So good. If I remember correctly, Shay was fighting with both Dawson and Severide at this point, I think. She's fighting with Severide? I think it was, I think she was fighting with both of them because of the whole Devin thing. And I remember Derek had posted the last two pages of the script um, after it aired. And in the scene with Shay and Severide, I remember there being a line like, like, cause she was originally supposed to have her arm around him, like while he was sleeping. And the line in the script was like, you know, they may be fighting or they may be angry at each other, but she's still going to be there for him. I think it was over the whole Devin situation. I thought she was, he was just annoyed. I, didn't, I guess I didn't realize they were technically in a fight. I knew Devin, I knew I, Shay and Dawson were fighting. I remembered that. Yeah. Much. I can't remember if it was over Devin or something more specific, though. Well, with Gabby, it's the because the episode before this or two episodes before this is um 
fuck, what is the guy's name that kills himself in front of them? Daryl. Daryl, yeah. So I know, and that's why she and Gabby are fighting. Was about, like, the aftermath of the Daryl situation. Right, because Les- or Shay's starting to, like, tailspin, and so... Yeah. But she doesn't want Dawson's help, yeah. We gotta brush up on these early seasons, man. Like, one Chicago trivia. I know. <laughs> yeah, so that's the Severide situation. But, yeah, like I said, I just love it, because it's, it's totally who he is he's just it's just in him yep kind of like the street smarts too like it's just kind of in him he just kind of knows to like hey there's a piece of metal in the spine of a book right or like like, hey i'm just gonna overtone or overtone overturn this front loader like no big deal yeah like you said nobody can teach him that right it's like in his dna Yep. it's crazy just he's so smart so Another bit that we got, we got the Casey and Griffin storyline here. Just, it's small, but it's just like feels everywhere. So, has Heather already been exonerated for the crime in 201 when her friend died? No. He, Griffin and Ben are still living with him. And I remember this, I think right before, because remember up to a point, Griffin had not wanted to go back to the firehouse. Ben was okay with it. But Griffin hadn't wanted to go back yet because of the memories of his dad. And I think this is the first time that he had really wanted to go and, like, spend time at the firehouse. Which is why this yeah, is, like, important. Yeah, because Griffin finally perked up and asked Casey, like, hey, can I come to the firehouse? And Casey was like, hell yeah. Right. Yeah, so Griffin hangs out at the firehouse for a shift. And, you know, he's just kind of around and Casey's showing him around. And so after a call, after the first call, which was crazy, but maybe we can touch on that later. But yeah, after the first call, Casey finds him hanging out in the gear room. And I think that's the name for the room. I don't know. It's the, it's the room, room where Kelly was. Is it the turnout room? It's the one where Kelly was making out with the girl in like season one, episode two with like no shirt on and like the hard hat. It's the turnout room. It was back when the show had to be like really extra. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's that room. Yeah. And so Griffin's like, is somebody else wearing my dad's coat? And Casey's like, oh, I don't know how to answer this. But he basically says, he's like, no, you know, it was damaged in the firehouse or the firehouse in the fire. It should stop speaking. Um, yeah, it was damaged in the fire. And so Casey just kind of reminds him, Casey's like, you know, he's still a really big part of this firehouse. And Griffin just goes, yeah, everyone keeps saying that as in like, yeah, whatever. So later on, Griffin asks Casey what happened to his dad's badge. And Casey's like, you haven't seen it yet? Like, your mom hasn't taken you? And he's like, no. Because he like he didn't even know that firefighters had badges. And so right before the episode ends, like the second to last scene, Casey takes Griffin to see the wall of badges, like the wall of honor. And Griffin finally gets to his dad's badge. And he's like super emotional. You can tell he's like pretty much crying and Casey just puts his arm around him and he's like, it's okay to cry here like I have. And then Griffin just cries into Casey's chest and Casey just like stands there. It's just so sweet. Honestly, one of Casey's best scenes of the series, I think. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Also, when I was rewatching this, it took me like, it took everything I had in me not to get up on my feels when I realized like, guess whose name's going to be next on that wall? I know. Especially after last week, I was like, oh, God. Spoiler alert, it's Shay's. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's sad. Yeah. But, oh, just, yeah. 
Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite Casey moments as well. But I still think number one in my book, I think is still from this past season with the woman who is being abused. And Casey just like sat with her in the middle of this fire and talked to her. Yeah. But this is definitely like one of them, though. Like, this is a great moment for him. This is up there for him. Another one that always gets me, which like isn't as significant, is I think it's the season one finale when Dawson finds him in the super sad bachelor pad after Hallie's death. And she walks in and he's just sitting there and he's like, nothing makes sense. And she just hugs him. Oh, yeah. Breaks my heart. Oh, Casey, you small little bean. He's going to be a... He's going to be an extra need of protection this this season. He's going to be, like, the smallest of beans this season. He really is. I know. Protect Casey at all costs. But actually, though. But actually, though. It still irks me to death that they had one fight and Casey was like, or Casey Dawson was like, I'm going to Puerto Rico. What? Just. It's going to take me a while to get over that one. I know. But whatever. Okay, so another bit we got, and this is another reason why this episode is just so great. Um, we're in the process in this episode of introducing the kids from PD. And one of the people we've been introduced to in early season two is the one and only Jay Halstead. Brandon, take it away. Oh, yeah. The, I, it's, the way they introduced Jay is still my favorite way they introduced anyone. It's so great. It's so well, great. Well, the fact that they, like took the time to introduce him for epi- like give him a storyline and like for six episodes like he was there I just think it's I just think it's so smart the way they did it oh it's so smart two of my favorite things about this whole process because obviously they they try to paint him as like, he's a bad guy at first because he, he's under but I love there's like one episode where you know Herman calls him a loser and he's like whatever this loser is doing who's dating Gabby and then there's another time where, like, Jay calls her and she's with Casey. And she's like, something's weird about him. And Casey's like, well, I'd be happy to have, like, a stern talk with him if so. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> It's so funny because they know nothing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just, I think it's so smart. And But, anyway, we have a lot to talk about with this stuff. So, anyway, where we left off. Like I said, this is episode six of season two. So, this is the last of the Jay episodes. So, up until this point, basically... Arthur is the guy who's like a silent partner in Molly's or whatever. And he kept coming around demanding rent. And there's the new bar down the street game day. And it's a rival bar to Molly's. And of course it just also happened to oh so casually burn down. And Jay is under with Arthur. But up until this point, only Gabby knows that Herman and Otis do not. So, basically, in terms of a Molly storyline, the way the episode starts, Herman and Otis come to Gabby and suggest they call the cops. Because, like, game days burned down, you know, like, this is going crazy. And Gabby's like, no, 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 like, they got it, you know, under control. Like, Antonio's got it, like, you know, like, we can't do that. And they're like, oh, I don't know, like, I like we really should call the cops. And Gabby's like, no, no, no. But really, she had promised Jay that she wasn't going to blow his cover. And she was, you know, like, she can't do that. So then later on, an officer from Area North comes to inform them there's suspects in game Jay going up. But then later on, Gabby goes out to meet Jay in her car, in his car. And Jay's like, no, like, you're not suspects. Like, 
And Gabby's like, well, why don't you tell that guy, like, whatever? And she, you know, she tries to rebuke his rebuting it. But, like, anyway. Um, and so Jay's like, I'm, you know, like, we're close. But, like, we don't really have him yet. But she's like, he's like, I think we can get him provoked. You know, I think we can get him if, like, we just need him, Arthur, to be provoked. And so and Gabby's like, what does that mean? And he's like, the next time Arthur comes in looking for a rent, Tell him no dice. And Gabby's like, huh? And she's like, he's like, don't give him the money when he comes in. I think one of my favorite Halstead lines of all time, aside from, first of all, it's detective, is when, you know, he's like, you're not a suspect. And Gabby's like, yeah, tell that to whoever, like you were saying. But then Jay just looks at her and goes, I got this, Gabby. (laughs) (laughs) So good. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And then Gabby, like, basically storms out of the car and is like, I hope you know what you're doing. (laughs) She knows so little. And then, but then, because she has to go, she, I mean, she, because she internally decides to go with Jay and, like, provoke Arthur, she, something switches in her and she's like, I gotta tell the guys. So she decides to tell Herman and Otis, and it, the scene immediately starts with Halstead being, or with Herman being like, Halstead's an undercover cop. Like, one of my favorite lines of all time. Wait, did you just do that in a Herman voice? I was trying to, but I can't do it. Can you do that again? No. Do it again. Do it no, again. I can't do it. Do it again. No, I can't do it. You were on the right track, because, yeah, that was funny. But you know what I like I can picture it in my head. Oh yeah, it was it was perfect. Just he like blurts it. He's like, Halstead's an undercover cop. It's like he may as well have just said, like, let me lay out this piece of cannon for you. Like Oh, it's so great. And then Otis is like, How long have you known? And Abby's like, not not that long. Yeah. And so basically, I mean, nobody again, nobody like goes against what Jay's saying. They're just like, I don't know if we can trust him and But Gabby's like, we can. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, trying to convince them, but also trying to convince herself at the same time. So then this kind of starts to wrap up with, like, the big showdown. So after shift's over, Gabby's at Molly's, like, first thing in the morning, and Arthur shows up. And it's Arthur, Jay, Jay pretending to be Arthur's monkey, and another one of Arthur's (laughs) monkeys. And... So, Arthur basically, I don't remember his exact words, but Arthur basically says, like, give me the money. And Gabby's like, no. She's like, we don't have it. And Arthur's like, well, that's such a shame. And he starts going on some rant about something and how they should have just made him a silent partner. And then they wouldn't have had to go through this whole thing and blah, blah, blah. And talking about game day and yada. He's going through this whole thing. All while he is taking a bottle of alcohol and, like, pouring it all across the top of the bar. And then he quite literally sets the bar on fire because fire and alcohol don't mix, as we all know. And so as soon as that happens, and, of course, right before the bar can, like, start to catch on fire even more, Jay grabs the other guy's gun, takes him down. Arthur shoots him in the shoulder, and then, even though Jay has been shot, before Arthur, Arthur then puts the gun to Gabby's head, but before Arthur can do anything to Gabby, Jay has gotten up, 
puts the gun to Arthur's head and takes Arthur down. Jay Halstead, everybody. Literally the best introduction to Jay Halstead as a cop. It's so... Was that... Do we think that's the first time he's ever been shot? No. You think he got shot when he was in the military? I don't think he's ever seriously gotten shot. Like, I don't think he's ever gotten more than, like, this was just a through and through. I don't think he's ever gotten Mm -hmm. more seriously shot than that. But, like, I have to imagine he got shot in Afghanistan. I mean, maybe he didn't, but I could be wrong. Hmm. He, like, didn't seem... The ever-growing mystery. Like, he seemed... The fact that he could function and, like still do his job even though he like he just seemed like he knew that it was a through and through so that he could still function properly and like he acted like it was too much of like not a big deal to not have been shot before to me yeah it just it's the ever-growing mystery of what the hell happened to jay in the military i know but what actually did happen to Jay in the military? I don't know. But what happened to Jay in the military? I know. I just want to sit with Jesse and be like, will you please just like, let's just have this conversation. Okay. Like, what do you think happened? Let it, let's create a fan fiction right now about what happened to Jay in the military. Right. Let's break this story right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So like I said, he takes Arthur, he's taken Arthur down and he's taken down the other goon. And so, once Gabby puts the fire out, Jay's, like, Gabby, like, rushes over to him and, like, starts putting pressure on his shoulder. And Jay's, like, Gabby, take my phone out of my pocket and dial 911 and, like, put the phone to his ear. And then he's, like, this is Jay Halstead, badge number, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, yeah. It's just Jay doing peak Jay things. Like I know. It's so good. So then... Ain't nothing but a J thing. So then we're outside. Arthur and his accomplice goon guy or whatever arrested. And Gabby then goes and checks on Jay, who's getting checked out. And Antonio is also on the scene. And basically, this is where he reminds Jay that since Jay was shot on the job, not jobby's job. I don't know why that like spell check. Um, he can pretty much choose whatever job he wants. And then this is when Jay's like intelligence. I want intelligence classic classic moment and antonio laughs at it yeah and antonio's like we'll see what we can do which of course we all know is keeper we have a show to create so of course you're getting intelligence like maybe this scene is the reason why void doesn't seem to fully respect jay what do you mean because, you know, he wasn't, like, invited into the unit. He got shot, and so he got to choose the unit. So he chose the unit. The unit didn't choose him. So maybe Voight feels like he didn't earn it. Interesting. Interesting theory. I don't know. Even though everybody swears that Voight and Jay respect each other, I beg to differ. Yeah. Interesting. Still, I beg to differ. So, after this moment, Antonio leaves, and it leaves Gabby and Jay to have a conversation. And Jay's like, you know, this doesn't have to change things for us. And Gabby's like, yeah, it does. And Jay's like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, when we first met, like, I didn't sign up for this. And she's like, my brother and sister-in-law have the best relationship I've ever seen, except for when he goes undercover. Like, it changes people. Yeah, that line didn't hold up so well. It really didn't. It really didn't. Antonio and Laura did not have to get divorced. It just makes me so sad. 
it makes me sad, but at the same time, we got Bertonio out of it, so like, it, yeah, it, yeah it's a double-edged sword because I love me some Bertonio, but I also would have loved to have seen more of Antonio and Laura. Yeah, agreed. But so yeah, that line didn't hold up. But then later, they kind of end this conversation. And Gabby's like, maybe the circumstances were different. And then Jay's like, maybe one day they will be. Jay did the maybe one thing with Gabby before he did it with Lindsay. I'm glad you caught that because I thought I was going to be the weird one to catch that parallel. Oh, no, no. He's like, maybe one day we will be. So, like, maybe that's the line he uses on the ladies. That's what I'm saying. I When I first heard that, when I, when I was rewatching this, I was like, oh, shit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is proof he did it to Gabby before before he dropped it on Aaron. Yep. Oh, only shit. with Aaron. I think he's. I, I feel like he said it with Aaron and then was like, "Oh shit, wait, I actually mean this." Yeah. But oh, that is. But you know what, Gabby? Gabby did him a favor though, because you know who we meet two episodes later. Who? This is two oh six. We covered two oh eight a couple weeks ago. Isn't that the first time we meet Aaron? Yeah. Yeah, so Gabby did him a favor because we meet Aaron two two episodes later and it's just, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, no, I definitely, obviously, like, we all know, like, Gabby and Jay, like, long-term would never work out. But, like we said, like, Gabby and Jay, and for those six episodes, I was, like, I was so into this. And every time I rewatch it, I'm like, oh, "Oh, I was so, I'm always, like, every time I watch it, I'm like, man, they were good. Oh, they were so good. And, like, yes, Dossie's endgame at the end of the day, but Gabby and Mills and Gabby and Jay, her past relationships were still pretty great. I also would not have ever been opposed to them, like, I mean, not now, obviously, but, like, when Petey first started, I don't think I, I would not have been opposed to them, like, re-exploring that, like, a la the Stavrite and Aaron, like, kind of way. Ooh. I would not, like, obviously now, like, it would it would never happen and like once they both got established in serious relationships but like in the beginning when pd was still around like i would not have been opposed to them re going back to that oh that would yeah because dossie wasn't a thing yet yeah you are correct Uh, i'd have to dossie might have been like first officially a thing by the time pd technically started but they were a casual thing. They were thing, more ca- a very they were a much thing. more casual thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was gonna say something else, and now I can't remember what I was gonna say. Dang it! Oh, I hate when that happens. But no. But Jay and Gabby were great for what they were supposed they were, to be. They were. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was gonna say something, and I can't remember what it was. Dang it! I hate when that happens. Oh. Yeah. They were really great. But yes, Jay, what was I going to say? So yeah, Jay and Gabby, PD. I don't know what you were going to say. I can't, I can't remember what I was going to say. Dang it. Oh, what I know what I, I, yes. What was your first, in, do you remember what your first impression of Jay, like not necessarily this episode, obviously, because this is the end of his story arc, but like what were your first <laughs> thoughts about this character? Like I obviously knew going into it, I mean, eventually that this was the guy that, like, PD spun off, you know, like, I knew because I was behind and, like, binge watch. <laughs> Did you know at the time that he was cast on PD and that, like, that was the point they were, like, spinning him off into PD land? 
Yeah, so an article had dropped, just like any article drops when they cast somebody. It was like, such and such has been cast on this. And so, you know, the article was like, hey, Jesse Lee Sauver has been cast on Chicago Fire spinoff. And I remember seeing his name pop up in the credits for Fire and me being like, I thought he was supposed to be on PD. And in my mind, I was just completely oblivious. I was like, maybe I read that wrong. So I didn't really have like an impression. I just was kind of like going along with it. I was just kind of like, go with the flow. But what did you first think think of Jay? Um, I was just kind of like, who the hell is this guy? I just wasn't really, I don't, yeah, I just wasn't really, and if I remember correctly, the first time Dawson and Halstead hooked up and we got that shot of him with the coffee mug where he's like shirtless and everything, I was like, really? They hooked up? Like, I wasn't impressed. I don't remember why, but yeah, I remember not really having a first impression. I just was kind of like, who, who the hell is this? And I just kind of went with and it. And I think that's interesting because I binge watched it and because I knew obviously that like he's on PD and whatever, like once I watched those six episodes, I was like, ooh, I was like, this guy, like, I'm into him. Like, I'm very glad he's (laughs) going to be on PD and I can learn more about him because, like, he is definitely my type in terms of, like, characters I like. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't take to him until PD started because, of course, then, like you said, we got to, we got to know him more and we got to know more of his background. Right, but I think because I knew we already were going to get to know more of him, like, when I saw him on fire, I was like, this guy, like, Mm -hmm. I'm into this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that just, just because I came into it later, like I had a very different reaction to this set of storylines than you did initially. Well, yeah, I'm finding that really interesting how our reactions to things are so different because I watched it live and you binged it. Yeah. That's been really interesting to me, like just hearing the different perspectives of how, you know, you knew Shay's death was coming. I sort of did, but sort of didn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting. That, like, things that were a big emotional blow for me may not have been as much for you because, you know, you knew they were coming. It's, like, one of the perks of, like, binging something versus. Yep. Or, like, spoiling yourself. Because, obviously, like, you can binge and not spoil it. I'm terrible at it. I've only ever done it recently once, and that was with Roswell. I didn't go in. I didn't know anything going in, and I watched Roswell spoiler-free. But that's the only thing I've watched recently that's not spoiler-free. You know, some call it spoiling. I call it emotional prep work. True. You just want to know what's coming. Yeah. I call it emotional prep. If somebody's going to die, I would like to know that. I did that by accident when I binged The 100 for the first time because I went on the IMDb page for the show way earlier than I should have. I tried to make a rule to like not do that now just to spoil anything. And I noticed that the character Finn his episode count was remarkably less than everybody else's. And I was like, oh, shit, he dies. <laughs> but then I knew it was coming. And so his death was like anybody, any of our listeners who watched The 100. I mean, Finn's death was more startling than it was like heartbreaking or like an emotional blow. It was startling, especially the way it went down. And so when that happened, I was like kind of taken aback, but also like, OK, but I knew this was coming. So that helps. Yeah. But yeah, that kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah, so that's Jay and Gabby. Man, I enjoyed them for what they were. I really enjoyed them for what they were. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I know what I was going to say. Yes. Um, All of their subsequent interactions, like, later on, and I feel like it was only maybe, like, two or three instances where, you know, they would interact, like, in future episodes. And it was always really civil. It was just, like, Jay would be like, hey, Gabby, and Gabby would be like, hey, Jay. Like, very just civil in passing. I remember one of the moments being when Brett and Mills went missing. Yeah. 
and Jay was the one on the case. And so Gabby pops up and Jay just looks and Jay's like, Gabby. And Gabby's just like, hey, Jay. And then they had that moment uh, when Antonio left to go to justice and he had that moment with Halstead and he was like, I thought you were going to be family. Like you were dating my sister. So everybody looks back on it. fondly. Yeah. But there's never any weird moment of like, I've seen you with your clothes off. (laughs) Like (laughs) there's never any of that with them, which is nice. (laughs) Yes, that is nice. (laughs) Oh man. Now I see. Um, (laughs) Cruz and Brett moments will never be the same now. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, but Cruz kind of still wishes he probably saw Brett without her clothes on, so. Oh, God, we're headed down a very slippery slope. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's true. I know. Man, we are very uh, to the point tonight. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. So one of the other storylines we got, I'm just going to segue away from uh, Brett and Cruz. I'm sorry. So... Uh, we got, this is when Mouch was running for union president. Yeah, union president. So this is also back in the early days when like every other storyline was a crisis with 51 potentially being shut down. So everybody's kind of mulling over what's going to happen to 51. And while this is happening, Mouch just kind of reminds everyone. He's like, hey, by the way, today's the day to vote for union president. You know, surprise. So a little bit later, Mouch, Mills, and Herman are prepping Mouch for his debate against Greg Sullivan. The debate that was going to happen on Otis's podcast, right? Yeah, that does happen on Otis's podcast. Yep. <laughs> we need to schedule a debate now just to like one up Mouch. Be like, come on and debate something. I don't know. Man. Yeah. So yeah, Mouch, he's, they're prepping Mouch for his debate against Greg Sullivan when Isabella enters and tells them that she has dirt on Sullivan because this is back when Isabella was around. Mina Suvari, just memories. So, yeah, Isabella's like, here's some dirt on Greg Sullivan's personal life. You know, use it if you want to. Don't use it, whatever. And Mouch being Mouch, sweet Mouch, just doesn't have the heart to go through with it. It's just not who Mouch is. And so they table it. So, so Sullivan shows up for the debate, quickly turns heated. And they're trying to be so civil about it, too. This is what kills me is that, like, you know, they're trying to keep it civil. And, you know, Sullivan pitches some platform that matches like, even I agree with that. And then Sullivan just, like, turns it up a notch. And so he starts, like, bad-mouthing 51, makes some comment pertaining to Mouch's nickname about how he's half man, half couch. He's like, yeah, 51's had such scandal lately. They had a questionable death on shift. And so Mouch gets up to defend his house. And he's about to spill some of the personal beans. He's like pretty much standing there like one second away from dropping the details on Sullivan. And then he just kind of steps back and decides not to because he takes the high road. It's just that's not that's not how, like I feel like that's not how anybody at 51 rolls. No, not at all. No, like anytime that kind of situation or opportunity has come up to like spill dirt on someone, everybody's always taken the high road because Severide had a similar situation with Patterson in season four. Right. When you could even argue that the one time someone is not taking the high road in 51 is when Cruz kills Flacco. And we saw how that turned out. It ate at him. I see how that turned I out. I mean, it, it the guilt ate at Cruz when he didn't do it. So, yeah. I also love how casually you said that. You're like, you know, back when Cruz killed Flacco. Yeah. 
no big, no big deal. deal. No big deal. No. Yeah, no, you're right. Because, yeah, the, the, the guilt just ate at him. And when he tried to tell Casey, Casey was like, I, nope. I hear nothing. Nope. I just, nope. 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> Earmuffs like, la, 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 la. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so Mouch takes the high road. And Isabella's kind of pissed. Yeah. So she's like, we need an act of God after this. And so later on, Isabella tries one more time to convince Mouch to let her send out an email blast. But he still won't do it. And so Isabella keeps, like, urging him. And Mills finally steps in. And Mills is like, this is not Washington. Yeah. Like, step back. I feel like those two were, like, I don't know. Would you say that Mills and Isabella were, like, kind of doomed from the get-go? Maybe not from the get-go. But definitely when she tried to use him to prove, you know, because he was black. Definitely. Yeah, she I, she just wasn't Mills' type. Oh, no, that's after this. All. But definitely, they were definitely, yeah, no, doomed from the start. Yeah, no, they were, uh, yeah, I never really liked them together. They were fine. I didn't have mm. a problem with it necessarily, but, like, you just knew it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. No, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, and so uh, the storyline ends the next morning with Mouch, Otis, Herman, and Mills. They're out to breakfast. And so Mouch gets the call that, you know, he lost. Um, the numbers weren't even close. But, you know, we see Herman just be the awesome friend that he is. And Herman's like, I'm freaking proud of you. Like, I'm so damn proud of you. And Mouch is just like, thanks, buddy. Okay. And Quick setting question on the scene. Okay. Because you know how a couple episodes earlier, Mills' family restaurant burns down because fucking Hadley? Yes, because fucking Hadley, this yes. This looks like it, though. Ooh. And I couldn't tell. I don't think it is because you can't rebuild a restaurant that fast. But, like, for a second I was like, is this Mills' restaurant? I don't, but it do, I don't think it is. I was just having this setting question of if you noticed Ooh. where this was. Hmm. I mean, it could have been the same, like, area, and they could have just, Well, it probably you know, was the same set, and, it, yeah. you know, they were yeah. just like, oh, diner. And I was just like, okay. But for me, I was like, is this Mills' yeah. family restaurant? But I don't think it is. I remember when they did the PD two-hour episode in season, like, three, maybe. I don't know. It was the one where Adam went undercover, and then it, like, it just kind of fell apart, and, like, the truck drove through the building or something like that. Yeah, that's three. That's three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember them doing a behind the scenes video of that and how they rigged everything to happen with like the pickup truck crashing through and everything. And that's like an actual shopping center. They just kind of like fortified the, the exteriors. They did something to mess with the structure so that they could actually crash a pickup through it and the surrounding businesses would be okay. Interesting. So. I mean, they did all these behind the scenes videos when I weren't when I wasn't watching the shows. I got to find them and see if they're still up. But again, I'm a nerd for these things. I well, I will, if you find them, obviously send them to me because, like, I want to see them. Man, I just wish they did more of them. Yeah, they don't do them as much now. I wish they did more because, again, I want to know all of these things. Although, side note, but did you see that the uh, the makeup department for PD, they're on Instagram now? What? Yeah, the uh, the CPD makeup department, they are now on Instagram. And I only know this because Luch posted and... In typical Luch fashion, all he did was post an image, and the caption is just, please follow. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, 
yeah, I like the behind the scenes stuff just because I love to know how they make these things happen. But maybe it was that kind of thing where they took that exterior, burned it, and then remade a diner out of it. I don't know. And I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So the last bit we got here was the Bowdoin story. Bryna, please take us through it. Yes. So like you said, this is back when, like, every single episode had to do with, like, holy shit, they're going to shut down the firehouse and, like, we're constantly under threat. And we're dealing with... It was literally, like, the consequence to everything, which was one of my favorites. They were like, Casey screwed up this call. Now they're going to shut down the firehouse. Like, yeah. you know, Mills burned the food. Uh-oh, now they're going to shut down the firehouse. Yeah. But this is also the time that we're dealing with Gail fucking McLeod, the worst character on fire, <laughs> like, ever. The worst character on fire. Yes. So, like I said, the first thing we see is Gail fucking McLeod, and she's going over documents with Bowden because Bowden has decided that as long as it means 51 gets to stay open, he will resign, which is what she wants. And But he won't do it until he gets, like, confirmation that 51 will 100% be safe from closure. And she almost kind of too quickly assures him that it will as he long as he signs the papers. So, later on in the episode, Bowden is meeting with Benny at the coffee shop. And earlier, a previous episode, it had kind of come to the forefront that Benny was going to be the one, should Bowden resign and get out of there, that Benny's the one who's going to replace him. So, Bowden and Benny are meeting at a coffee shop, and Bowden is clearly sour about the fact that Benny is replacing him. And Bowden manages to admit that, you know, he plans to tell everyone of his retirement on the next shift. And Benny's like, should I come by? And Bowen's like, no, no, no. Like, don't come by. Like, introduce yourself. Like, do that later. And Benny's like, I'm safe, giving up my job to save 51. And then this is where Benny tells him that, you know, like, you've accomplished your mission. Like, they're actually going to close 17. And then the last little part that deals with this is... Bowden comes back to the firehouse later on and tells everyone that he found out that 17 is closing and not 51. And Cruz is like, I don't mean to be insensitive, but does that mean we're safe? Like, completely? And Bowden just kind of gives him his little nod because, you know, he doesn't want to go into everything right now. But he's like, Casey, I need to see you. <laughs> and so then this is where Bowden really fills Casey in on, like, everything that's happening. And Casey's like, what the fuck? Not really, but what the fuck. <laughs> and Bowden's like, no, like, don't tell everyone yet. Like, I'm going to tell them next shift. Like, I want to be the one that tells them. He's like, right now, all I really need you to do is, like, be a leader. And Casey's like, I got you. I got you, boo. And, <laughs> and that's it. That's the Bowden stuff. Could you imagine a world where Benny was running Firehouse 51? God, no. Would that even be allowed that he would be able to preside over his son? I don't know. God, that would be awful. And, oh, he would give Severide such hell. I know. It would be terrible. It would have been a nightmare. Thank God we never saw that. It would be terrible. Oh, yes. We got lucky on that one. 
Yeah. So that's the Bowdoin stuff. Um, Before we wrap it up, there are just some other little minor things that we want to touch on. So I know for me, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the there's a super quick scene after the first call with Clark and Mills. And we're going to talk about the first call in a minute. But um, basically, Clark is taking over for Severide and he basically comes up with this idea to like use the jaws to extract this woman from like a weird position and mills is just like how did you know to do that and clark's just like you know like who's in the military we did things you just kind of had to learn how to operate on so little and just i love it because i love how curious and how you can tell how interested mills is in his job and how he just wants to learn everything there is to learn Like, I used to love that about him, how he would always be after a call, be like, "Okay, well, you know, what made you think to do that? Or why did you grab that? What, you know, just he was so inquisitive. I loved that. It was always interesting to, you know. Well, the one thing I loved about this scene in particular, too, kind of taking it a completely different way, is that especially after everything that went down in the first couple of episodes, when Mills especially thought that Clark was the mole and the rat in the house, and it was actually that other guy whose name I can't remember, Hadley? No, not Hadley. The other guy that gets brought in at the same time that Clark comes in. That looks just like Newhouse? Hadley. No, it's not Newhouse. It's another white guy that looks exactly like Hadley. But it is not Hadley. Shit. Oh, shit. Do you know who I'm talking about, oh, God, though, at I don't least? Know I think so. But anyway, not the, but when they thought it was, everyone was Clark and they thought it was Clark and they were like pointing fingers at Clark and especially Mills. And then it turns out it's not him. And so everyone was wrong. Yeah. And then I lost my train of thought of exactly what I was going to say. But basically I love seeing that Mills, you know, like everyone, like everyone's cool with Clark now, but like no one was really trying to be Clark's friend necessarily, except for Mills. And I just think it's so, obviously it's ironic that Mills is the one who was pointing fingers at him the most. And now Mills is the one who's trying to become like good friends with him. And it was just like a cool moment. And because they had a good friendship. I really enjoyed the Clark Mills friendship when they were both around. Um, Yeah. So it's just like a cool, like first moment of them actually being friends. Yeah. And just, you know, Mills has hard eyes for squad. He just wants to be on squad so badly. It just was like. Yeah, I just loved that, how he was always, after a call, like, was thinking through it and asking questions, and everybody was willing to answer them, and just, I liked it. I liked how inquisitive he was, so that was cool. Um, One of the other bits that I wanted to touch on, so, uh, Devin, our favorite, Devin, um, she goes on a call with Dawson and Shay, and it just goes, it's just such a bad idea. And if Dawson wasn't mad at Shay before, I definitely see why she's mad at her now. Like, yeah, it's bad. So yeah, De- uh, Devin goes on a call with Dawson and Shay, and basically this is back when bath salts were really heavy in the news. Like they were just constantly, you'd always hear about incidents with this. And so this woman is, why are you giving me that face, Brenna? You're giving me that like I'm confused face. Because I don't remember when bath salts were prevalent in the news, but continue. Okay. So, I might have been too young yeah, and I probably woman, wasn't paying attention to the news enough yet at this point. This was 23. 20- 13, yeah, I was a freshman in college, so no. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, so this is back when they were pretty heavy in the news, and you would just always hear about people doing insane shit on bath salts. And so this woman is, like, just running around this liquor store, just, like, screaming random things, and just she's 
all over the place. And Devin is just not helping. So Dawson and Shay are trying to be really calm. They're like, we just want to help you. We just want to talk. And Devin's just standing in the corner like, she's so whacked out, just making really obnoxious like side remarks. And the side eye that Dawson gives Shay in this scene is so great. Just like, it's her way of being like, do you see what you fucking did by bringing this crazy bitch on this call? Oh, it's great. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, they sedate the woman, but then Dawson's super pissed at her, at Shay afterwards for bringing Devin along, which makes all the sense in the world because Devin was just no good. Yeah. She was the worst. She really was the worst. She was worse. Worse than Gail McLeod? No, not worse than Gamma Cloud. But worse than Clarice, isn't that her name? Sherry Appleby's character? Clarice? Yes. Yeah, worse than her. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'd be willing to rank her, like, second worst Chicago Fire character ever. We should make a ranking of the worst characters. I would probably put Patterson, like, uh, irrationally high on that list. I really didn't like Patterson. Why didn't you like Patterson? I I hated him. I really didn't like him. Why? Because he was so so arrogant about replacing Kelly. I really didn't mind Patterson. I mean, Patterson, I don't know. We should make that list. Hmm. Listeners, if you have any ideas of, you know, worst characters in Chicago Fire history, please tell us, because we are curious. Yeah. See, for me, I would put Grissom before Patterson. And again, Grissom doesn't scare me. I'm just like, go sit in the corner, Grissom. Hmm. Yes, we need to make that list. Yeah. So, the last thing I want to talk about is the accident of this case. Because I have a lot of questions about how the fuck this happens. Okay. So, (laughs) basically, the accident is there was, like, a couple riding bikes. And then there's this truck. And it's carrying, like, slabs of metal. I really don't know even to call what it was carrying. But, and, like, they had, like, fallen off the truck and, like, crushed the wife. Whatever. Okay. First of all, were those slabs of metal, like, not tied down at all? all whatsoever like it literally just looks like they're laying on the truck bed yeah that, yeah was the truck like on its side or anything no the metal they literally like fall off it's like a flatbed okay. truck and they like slide off because i don't think they're tied down and they just slide off or like they're not tied yeah, maybe they're not, like, tied down properly. No, I don't even think they're tied down. Like, you don't see any evidence of ropes or anything whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. And then, where is the driver of the truck in this instance? Ah, uh, good question. We never see him or her. Because the husband of the, I mean, obviously, they were riding bicycles. So you see the husband, but you never see the driver of the truck. You are correct. The driver of the truck has a lot of explaining to do, and it is no he or she is nowhere to be found. Okay, but let's also talk about this now that I think about it. She was street level, right? So she wasn't riding on the sidewalk. She was riding in the street. Yes. Okay. So I can't imagine there was a lot of space between the curb and the truck carrying the metal. 
Right. But at the same time, bikers only can go so fast. So if a truck is coming, it's not like the trucker, trucker, I'm saying trucker, even though it's not like an 18 wheeler, the truck driver did not see the bicyclists. So like, unless they literally just decided to pass the bicyclists, I, I have like have hand motions to make, and this is terrible because it's a podcast and nobody can see me. <laughs> but like, if the bicyclists are here, like, in order for it to fall properly, I mean, fall like the way it did on them, they have to be like right on top of each other. And normally, I feel like if you're trying to press bicyclists, you try to leave as much space as you can and then go around them. Maybe he was trying to pass and he just did it too quickly to the point that it shifted the metal into falling. Right. And then because it is not tied down properly, accidents happen. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely the fault of the driver because that's just ridiculous. Also, how about how pretty much the bicycle handles were the thing that were like saving her life because it was like. It was her head and then like the bicycle handles and then the steel. And then the minute they extracted her, the steel just like sliced the handles in two and crushed the curb. Yeah. This was probably another incident of like Derek driving and being like, hmm, what would happen if those giant slabs of metal were to fall? Right. I just like, I just like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I don't understand how this happened. <laughs> hmm. I'm like thinking through, I'm thinking about it now and I'm like, hmm, well, yeah, I think it was silly of if, if they, if the car, if the truck was indeed driving in the right lane, I think that would have been silly of them to be riding on the street in between the car and the curb if that was the case. But there's not really a lot of sidewalk because they're on like a bridge of some sort. So it's not like traditional sidewalk. There, oh, but I thought there was like a way for like pedestrians and bike riders i thought there was like space for them i don't know i'd have to go back i thought they were on a bridge i thought there was some sort but not really enough for like a bike lane hmm either way this woman got super lucky yeah and like i said there is no driver to be found no driver to be found maybe it was a hit and run maybe (laughs) so many questions derek if you're out there do you remember this call can you help us here yeah Seriously. But yeah, that is 206. I mean, I know your favorite is 208, but what do you think of this episode? I really like it. I forgot how much I really liked this episode. Yeah, early season two is just, they're kind of like working like a well-oiled machine, you know? Yeah. Like they're, they're starting to get into a rhythm in season two. And yeah, I like it a lot. It's a good one. It's a really, really good one. So yeah, I think. That is about all we've got. Is there anything else we didn't cover? I don't think so. Yeah. So as always, you guys know where to find us. Um, we're everywhere on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. I said that out of order, but whatever. Um, it's meet us at Molly's right across the board. Send us an email. It's meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. You guys seriously email us because we're getting lonely because a certain Dr. Mike is not emailing us. And so you should email us instead. And talk to us. Uh, Yeah, so send us emails. However you guys want to get in touch with us, our inbox is a safe space. You don't even have to talk about the One Chicago shows. It can be anything. So um, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Bryna? I am at Bryna K13. 
And that's about all we've got. So we are going to take next week off because one of us is going to New York. That would be Bryna. I'm extremely jealous. Eat all of the pizza, please. Um, yeah, and have so much fun. You've been before, right? Yeah, not for a while. It's been a couple of years, at least. Are you going to go see a Broadway show? I am. Do you know what yet? Yeah, I'm going to... So I'm going to see a concert reunion of one of my favorite Broadway shows on Monday night when I get there. And then I'm also going to see Pretty Woman and maybe Anastasia. Ooh, cool. You should try and get tickets to Frozen. I thought about that, but I'm kind of wanting to see Pretty Woman and Anastasia more. And I think Frozen will be there for a while, so... One of my favorite things we did when I went to the city in 2016 was we saw a Broadway show. We saw Matilda. And then there was like a Junior's Cheesecake like right around the corner. So at like 1030, 11 o'clock at night, my dinner was like strawberry cheesecake and a glass of wine. Clearly, I was living my best life that night. Yeah. Maybe I'll try to go stage door, though, just so I can see Patty. Oh, yay. You should see Patty. We love Patty. But yeah, that is about all we've got. So everybody have a good weekend and we will see you the week after next. Bye.